about two months ago, I was sitting in my office right here, it's about that way on the other side of the bathroom, and uh, praying about the preaching schedule through Easter. You didn't realize we're approaching Easter. Easter is April 1st this year, and so we are just a few weeks away from Easter. We have our crosswalk on the day before, and our big Easter brunch and celebration on Easter, and we'll be here a little bit longer. Well, some people are taking the day off to go do other things. We will not. We will be here and glorify the Lord on the day that we celebrate His resurrection. Amen. And that's what we should do, and I'm, I'm all for it, looking forward to it. Uh, but as we were, I was praying about that, I wrote down on a piece of paper a list, and it was just a word that I felt like the Lord had given me for each Sunday as we approached Easter. And the Sunday, the word for this Sunday was accused. And then as, as each one has come, I've taken that list back out and I've looked at it, and the Lord has worked on me to sort of change it around and, and, and has taught me things, and then I've tried to bring to you what it is that the Lord was sharing with me, okay? And so I want to say to you that I have learned a lot about being accused and accusing people more than I can share with you in a sermon, but I want to share with you a really, really, really powerful moment that I experienced that God was talking to me, and then, and then I want to share that with you, okay? And so the... You know, I shared with you last week that we've been going to the library, and I was at the library, and we had gotten Ariana's books, and we were getting ready to leave, and I have not rented a movie from the library in something like 10 years or more, uh, something like that. Might have been when Arden was about three or so. And the Lord nudged me toward the movie shelves, and as I got toward the movie shelves, on the end of one of the shelves was this movie. It's called Before I Fall. And this is a rated PG-13 movie, and it's about a teenage girl who um, relives a, a day of her life over and over and over again. Um, and the first time she lives the, that day of her life, she dies at the end of it. And then after that, she lives the same day over and over and over again. And it just seemed like it would be interesting. That's I'm just synopsis to everything that's on the back of the case to you, so you're not, I didn't ruin anything for you. In the movie, however, there is a young lady and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually pass the movie case around so everybody can see the picture. Um, and when you look at it on the back, she is in the bottom center. And she's wearing a white sweater. Okay, I'm going to start over here. Just pass the case around so everybody can see the picture of her while I'm talking about her character. Okay? There is an event that takes place in this young lady's life fairly early on. She was about nine. And she went away to camp with her friends. And while she was at camp, one of her friends, who was a popular girl, wet the bed. Now, you know, you can freak out about that, but there are nine-year-olds that wet the bed. Um, bladder control issues, and it's a physical thing often. And so they don't intend to do it. It's not a bad thing, but they did it. She did it. Well, she blamed it on the girl that's in the picture. She didn't take credit for it herself. The girl got up and was maybe helping her clean it up or whatever. And, and when people asked her what happened, she blamed it on that girl. She accused that girl of being a bedwetter. Now, that accusation affects her and her popularity amongst her friends. Remember, the girl that accused her was a popular girl for the rest of her life up until the story of the movie. Okay? So what I'm going to talk to you about today about is the power of an accusation and the power of accusing someone and the power of being accused. So it's largely those last two things, but an accusation is so, if I would say to you, Christian, man, you're a dis disrespectful young man. You'd be like, am I a disrespectful young man? Why, why is he saying that? Especially Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan loves me. Pastor Dan likes me. We joke all the time. Why would he say, I'm a disrespectful young man? So there is something that happens when a person is accused. Now we know from the text that we read last week, so we won't have, we can't read all of the texts that I would like to look at as we study this topic today, we will read like, I think I have eight or nine, none of them are very long, but I have eight or nine texts that we'll actually read today. But Jesus was accused. He stood accused. We know that he was accused of being uh, possessed with a demon, that he was accused of being a uh, Samaritan, which he wasn't. He was accused of being a wine giver, which uh, he means he drank a lot of wine. 
right? Which he did drink wine, but he didn't drink an excessive amount of wine or anything, right? But he did drink wine. All right, so real quick, I want us to look at a couple of texts that, to frame this, all right? And the first one is in John chapter 5. That is our reminder that God can work through any word that is written in these books. This library of the teaching of God can change your life. Just one verse or a paragraph or a chapter could be the thing that you need for today for God to speak in your heart and transform you in a way that will, uh, you'll never go back from. And that's what we desire as we go to the Word of God. Here's what it says in John chapter 5. Now, Jesus is speaking. I'll run up to it. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. That's verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. He's talking about how the word of God teaches about the coming of Jesus. And they were searching the scriptures thinking that that's how they would be saved. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men. Meaning you don't talk, you don't, you don't do it for me or to me. You don't glorify me. You don't lift me up. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. So that is sort of an accusation. But notice that it's not really an accusation. It's a statement of fact, because that is actually the case. But it is sort of an accusation. 43 says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? And so we see the nature of the accusation that they, as they accuse Jesus and all these things, they're trying to sway the public opinion. They're trying to make a statement about themselves. They're trying to get glory for themselves. So let me say this. When, when someone is a liar, that's bad. Right? To be a liar is bad. If you've ever told a lie, then up until the point in time when you got saved, you were a liar. One lie is all it takes to be a liar. What does a liar do? They lie. When you lie, you become a liar. You steal, you're a thief. Right? So to be a liar is a bad thing. For some reason in society, in the world, to recognize a liar is not a bad thing. There's an old saying we used to use when I was a kid, but it takes one to know one. Remember that? Mm-hmm. You're a liar. It takes one to know one. You're a jerk. It takes one to know one. Right? And turning it back on the accuser. But in the world, it's become acceptable to, to talk about somebody and say that they are a liar. Well, because if they are a liar, then everybody needs to be warned, right? So no one can be tricked or deceived by them. And if they are a liar, then to recognize that they are a liar is some form of wisdom. It's wise to know that they are a liar because if you, were not, if you didn't know that, you're duped by them and so on. So they were earning a position, if you will, by accusing Jesus. They were getting glory from men. To get glory is when, when someone shines a light on you. And so they were seen as wise or teachers, and they were extending that or furthering that by accusing Jesus. Okay? And so then it says, I have, in 43, he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. Meaning, if he came the way you come... Become with your authority, become showing the world how good he is and soaking up the glory, then you would recognize him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? And so you see, you're looking for people to look at you and see you're awesome. So how can you believe in God since you're not seeking glory from God? And then 45, this is our key verse. Jesus says, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus says, I will not accuse you before the Father. Now, if anybody has a right to do that, it's Jesus, right? Because Jesus was not a liar. He was not a murderer. He was not a thief. He was not a false teacher or a false prophet. He was not anything that a bad person is. So if anyone had a right to accuse anyone, it would be Jesus. But Jesus says, but I don't accuse you before my Father. God was casting glory on Jesus and saying, this is the one. This is what you've been waiting for. See the miracles? See the power of God displayed in Jesus? But Jesus says, but I will not accuse you before my Father. 
If we are to be like Jesus, then following his footsteps, what does that say about us as accusers? Jesus said, I will not accuse you before my father. <coughs> and now, as a believer, you're supposed to be like him. So if that's what Jesus set forth, then we ought not to be accusers, right? But to make an accusation in the world is generally accepted as a good thing. Because if you recognize that person as a liar, you've not been duped by them and so on. So you get your glory from men. Oh, but wait a minute. He said, if you get your glory from men, if people think you've got your stuff all together because you recognize when someone is bad, then how can you believe in God the Father, who is the one who wants to glorify first the Son and ultimately us so that we can glorify Him? You follow? Flip to John chapter 8. Just go a few to the right, basically. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 6. And actually, I'll give you a run-up to you so you understand. This is the story of the adulterous woman. There is a woman who's caught in adultery. And she is brought to Jesus. And something is happening. And they're about, they're trying to do something. Okay? And so here's what it says. And the scribes and Pharisees, I'm sorry, uh, 8.3, beginning in 3. And the scribes and Pharisees, brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very act. Listen to this, verse 5. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, realize that that is a step further than accusing her. They have already accused her. But to throw the stone is to carry out the determination of the accusation, right? So we accuse, find guilty, and then throw the stone. It is proof that the person was guilty that the first stone is thrown. But he says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they had heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Now that word condemn is not the same as accuse. They accused her. Okay? But to condemn is to judge, is to determine the outcome of the accusation. Okay? To say that they were accused, now they're rightly accused, and so she deserves stoning. But he says, did no one condemn you? In other words, did no one find you guilty of that which you were accused of? You follow the logic? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. And so Jesus did not condemn her. Right? He accused her. No, he didn't accuse her. Who accused her? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? That's what you're going to say, right? Okay. But actually, who did they say was the accuser? Moses. Moses. Right? They, they say she was an adulteress. The word of God, Moses' law, accuses her. Therefore, she should be stoned. But that's not actually true, is it? They were the ones accusing her of adultery. And you can say, maybe they caught her in the act. They say they caught her in the act. Okay? So you can say, well, then there needs to be no accusation. But there is an accusation. There has to be an accusation whenever you're trying to bring someone else in to condemn the person you have to accuse. Right? So I have to accuse Perry, for example, in order to, and I have to accuse him to Randy in order to get Randy to think the same way that I do. And so we can decide together what Perry's punishment is going to be. You follow? So there has to be an accusation. So there was an accusation. They accused her to Jesus. And they were trying to get Jesus to join in the accusation, to accept the accusation, and to condemn her. But he didn't. Now the truth is, if she really was caught in the act of adultery and they really were, the accusation was accurate, 
the law of Moses, which has been followed and not followed so many times by this point in time, so maybe it was inappropriate that they should even stone her anyway because so many people were stoned and so many people were not stoned. It was been so up and down, right? But anyway, the law of Moses said that she should be stoned if she was caught in the act of adultery. That's the truth, right? So what are they doing walking away? They made the accusation and then they walked away and the woman is not stoned. All because Jesus says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And I submit to you, in a sense, that is an accusation. So on the surface, you might say it's an accusation that they have sinned. That's, a, that's not an accusation, that's a realization. Everybody has sin, right? They all had sin. He knew that. Everybody had sin. And so he wasn't accusing them of having sin. He was just recognizing that they had sin. So then he said, he made a command. He said, if you have no sin they'll be the one to cast the first stone. Right? Go ahead. Why, if they knew the law, why did they have to bring them before Jesus? If well, they caught her in the act, why didn't they just stone her then and there? And that's the, ac the other thing I was about to say. The accusation of Jesus is that this was not about them following the law. Right? It says in the book, we just read it, it says they were trying to find a reason to accuse Jesus. Right? But they brought her to him to get him to condemn her based on the scriptures. So if you come because of the law, if you were the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, if you're whatever you're claiming to be, you can't possibly order us to go against what the law says. Right? And if he did order them to let her go, then he would be in direct violation of the law. The literal written law. Right? We know that the whole law points to compassion and grace. Forgiving her is the right thing to do. But in this moment in time, the reality is, if he doesn't condemn her because she was caught in the act, if he doesn't condemn her to stoning, then they can accuse him of breaking the law. Because they, they, all these witnesses are there. Or it also says there has to be at least two witnesses to the act. They claim there was. Whatever. So he would have to say, no, you're lying. She didn't commit adultery in order to say that she didn't deserve to be stoned. You follow? So this is all a test. So the accusation of Jesus when he says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone was that this is not about following the law. That you didn't bring her here to me today to get her stoned or to get me to condemn her. If it was about that, yeah, she committed adultery, then the law says stone her. But it's not about that. His accusation is that no, this is about something completely different. Right? And not only that, but he knows, as I said before, the fulfillment of the law is compassion and grace. Once he sends her away, he shows the fulfillment of the law when he makes a statement. He says, now go and sin no more. The compassion and grace that God delivers to people is so that they can then move away from sin. So they can let the sin go. right? So they can be set free from the sin. Okay, so we see that Jesus would not accuse, and then when this woman is accused in his presence according to the law under the testimony of multiple witnesses who were theoretically holy men instead of condemning her, which is the next logical step out of ac after an accusation, instead of delivering a punishment to her that she rightly deserved, he says, amongst you accusers, all of you who are accusing her here, whoever has the first stone, you be the one to con or who has no sin, I'm sorry, you be the one to cast the first stone and condemn her. You follow? So if Jesus said that in our room here today, remember we're trying to follow Jesus, trying to be like Jesus, Jesus said, you be the one to cast the first stone. In other words, you be the one to judge somebody as a sinner deserving the faith that they get when an accusation has been made. That would be like him saying to us, okay, they did it. He accused him of it. There is sufficient evidence. We know they did what they're accused of. Now you judge them. If you have no sin, then you judge them. If you haven't sinned yourself, then you are in a place to judge them. And we, of course, would have to answer what? I can't do it. I can't be the one to cast the first stone. I can't be the one to judge them. But the natural extension of an accusation is what? Condemnation. It's judgment. The power of an accusation is in the condemnation. I can say whatever I want about somebody, 
Right? I can say all kinds of bad things about David, but where is the power in it? It's in the condemnation. If David starts to believe the things that I'm saying about him, or other people start to believe them and treat him differently, right? That's wrong. That's the condemnation is the problem. It's not the accusation. That's just it should be just words because people get accused and then get found innocent, right? Now there's still some negative ramifications that they got to pay for a lawyer or go to court or it's annoying, right? But they get accused and are found innocent and they're allowed to go back to their lives as normal as they possibly can after being found innocent. So the accusation itself is not the problem. It's the condemnation that arises out of the accusation that is the problem. And Jesus says, neither will I even accuse, let alone condemn. John 3.17 says that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but what? That they are condemned already in what they have done with the Son of God. And even in that passage we read from John 5, Jesus was saying, you already have this problem because Moses declares who I am. All the Old Testament declares me and how I would come and what it would be like and all the prophecies are there. And I am everything that is written there and you still won't believe me. You search the text saying that's how you'll be saved, but you won't believe what they say about the coming Messiah, the Christ, who is me. You follow? That's the reality. So accusations, first of all, there were observable accusations against Jesus. Observable. He was being accused left and right. A demon, a Samaritan, a wine-bibber. He was eventually accused of claiming that he was God in the flesh, which was the first time they really got it right. And that was the command that they, that was the accusation that they will eventually crucify him under, was that he claimed to be God in the flesh. And he was guilty of that. But that's not a crucifiable offense if you actually are a God in the flesh. It was if you weren't. Someone claimed to be God, and they weren't God, they shouldn't by the Jewish law, be crucified. So there are observable accusations. Let's talk about the word accusation just briefly. In the observable accusations, it's always this Greek word, and I'm, uh, kata gerao, or however you say it, that's pretty close, and it means a legal accusation. It's kata gerao, okay? And so it's a legal accusation. So they were looking for a place to legally claim that he was in breach of the law. Legally claim that he deserved to be killed, stoned, or crucified, right? There were times when, when he first said he was like God, and I and the Father are one, they picked up stones to kill him, but he just walked away. Remember that we talked about that last week. Ultimately, they'll crucify him for that same thing. So the point is, these are, they want to make a legal accusation. Now, when they accused him of being a demon and a Samaritan, that also was an accusation, right? But that was a public opinion accusation. And somebody tell me, what happened after the public opinion accusation? Did the public determine that Jesus, Jesus had a demon and had a, or was a Samaritan? Is that what they thought? After the Pharisees and Sadducees said, you're, you have a demon or you're a Samaritan, is that what the public decided? Did they contemn him as having a demon or a Samaritan? We read it last week. What do you think, Dylan? Did the public decide that Jesus had a demon or was a Samaritan? No, they didn't, did they? The, the court of public opinion refused to condemn him. You follow? So then they tried to take it to law. Because it's easier to get a body made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, 26 or so, to condemn Jesus than it is to get everybody. Apparently, they're believing the miracles. They're so stupid, they believe it when he heals the blind and he says God did it. They're so stupid, they believe it when he heals the paralytic and, they and, they, and he says God did it. They're so stupid, they believe it when he walked on water and he says God did it. They're so stupid. So we can't get him in the court of public opinion, so now we go to this word and we're looking to accuse him before the court of law. I submit to you, by the way, the same thing is happening today in the United States of America. People who can't get justice in the court of opinion sue. They're damaged by the accusation in a way they didn't expect, and so they get a court case going. That's what happens. And so they wanted, the, the people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, wanted to become a plaintiff against Jesus. That's a legal term, and that's what that word means. The ability to, be, to make an accusation to become a plaintiff. They wanted to get out of the court of public opinion and get into the court. Okay? They had a posture in the court of public opinion of accusing Jesus, and now they want to accuse Jesus in a 
court so he can be legally tried. Look at Matthew chapter 12. We're doing well. We've already completed the first point. And then we'll come back around and make sure we get everything and understand it, I hope. Matthew chapter 12, beginning, I'm going to read verse 10. Targeting verse 10, beginning reading in 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him? It's the same word again. They're going to watch and see if Jesus will heal this man's hand because that would be a work, right? Especially if it's Jesus' power that's doing it and not the power of God, which is what they're alleging. Then it would be a physical work as if he cast a spell or he created a, a situation where this man's hand is going to be healed. So they say, if you do that work on the Sabbath, then you could be accused in a court of law. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. They were elevating the accusation to the level of a condemnation. They wanted him dead. And the path that they were taking was through the accusation. They wanted to get him in a court of law so they can stone him or crucify him. Jesus was accused. To accuse is a posture of contempt. You call someone a liar while knowing that you yourself have lied. Because they are a liar. They are not as good as you. They deserve, at least when you say it out loud, they deserve to be talked about. Right? But you're telling someone. They deserve to be condemned in the mind of that other person that you're telling. You follow? So they must be worse than you. Because your lie has been forgiven. Your lie is long in the dirt. I made that the best I could. You know what I mean? I took care of everything I could. So my lies are done. I haven't lied today. So that person lied to me. Now I'm going to tell everybody else they're a liar. And that's the way it works in the world. People are condemning that and, and have contempt for the other person and so contempt for the other person, so then they tell it. Look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 14 is the target. Luke, Luke chapter 3, verse 14 is the target. Now John the Baptist is preaching and teaching. He's still alive at this time. right? And we see, and I did a sermon on this a few months back, and I, and I didn't hammer hard on this point, but, I, but it really spoke to me this week. Verse uh, 11. And he would answer and say to them, Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. That's compassion and sharing and giving. And let him who has food do likewise. And some tax gatherers also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. See, they worked for the Roman government. They had to collect taxes, and they, they made their income by taking more taxes, and the more they took, the more money they got. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. See, they would take money by force or they would accuse somebody and let that person of a false crime or whatever. And I'd say, Tabitha, I saw you take that. Now I'm going to take you to jail and they're going to whip you and beat you and you're going to be in jail for months or whatever. Or if you, you, know, if you pay me a couple extra silver pieces, I could, I could just not mention it and not take you in. And so by extortion. So they would accuse for personal gain. And John the Baptist says, no more accusing for personal gain. And I submit to you that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were accusing Jesus for personal gain. And Jesus himself would not accuse them before God, which, which he realized that if he did so, would be in danger of doing it for his personal gain. Or even for the advancement of the kingdom. Or for God's gain. Right? Jesus would not accuse them before God. And John the Baptist says, no more accusing for personal gain. Go to the right to Luke chapter 11. 
Luke chapter 11, I'm, the target is 52 through 54. Luke chapter 11, the target is 52 through 54. Okay, now, this is Jesus talking about the people of his day who are doing what's wrong and so on. And he says, woe unto, woe unto, right? And then, beginning in verse 52, he says, woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge and did enter in yourselves. And those who were entering in, you hindered. In other words, they are misinterpreting the law, they're misusing the law, using it for their own glory, using it to elevate their position, all these other kinds of things. And those who would look at the law and go, hey, you know, God, we, God deserves our loyalty whatever way he would make, they have actually gotten in the way of that. And he says in 53, and when he left there, and it says, sorry, in 53, when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. They began to pick apart his words. Okay? Now I want you to think for a moment about social media. Some of you use social media, some of you don't. I understand that. But this has been my experience. Someone will say something. Uh, uh, what, last week, 10 days ago or something, someone, um, someone posted a picture on social media and said, here, and it was a picture of a loaf of bread, and he said, and the post was, here is a picture of a loaf of bread to feel like, to, to prove that people will argue about anything on social media. After that, I think there were 51 posts, and people argued whether it was a loaf of bread, whether it should be called a loaf, whether it should, could be called bread, whether it was actually fake and painted. I mean, it was just everything. It just kept going and going and going, and it was all kind of, and people were arguing. And occasionally, the poster would post, see, told ya, that was my point, right? What it is, is people get on there and they nitpick what other people have said, right? So you will talk to someone and then they will say something. And then you will go away from them and you will wonder, did they say that for a reason? Did they say that to try to get me to do it? Were they trying to manipulate me? Was this a trick? Does he have an agenda? Is it even true, right? And what you do is you're accusing them in your own mind. What Jesus had just given them was every warning that they needed to potentially enter into the kingdom of God. To avoid all the troubles and woes of all the things that they had done, he had just given them everything that they needed. And they walked away and instead accused them in their own him in their own minds every word. And not only that, what he had just said, but from that point forward, every time he was talking, they were accusing him in their own minds that he had an agenda, that it wasn't godly, that it wasn't what they wanted, that he was a sinner, that he was, had a demon, that he had it was... A Samaritan, that he deserved to be stoned, he deserved to be crucified, whatever. I submit to you to repent and turn to God and let God be in charge is the opposite of an accusing <coughs> posture. You cannot live your life accusing other people of wrong. Now, I know they're wrong. Okay, let's just all get this out of the way right now. We're all wrong, right? Often. It happens. But that doesn't mean that you need to be talking about how they're wrong. We're riding in the church van on Friday night. I did not get permission to share this, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the person, whatever, so I'm not doing it by way of gossip. We're riding, and someone in the van called someone in their family lazy. So that person is lazy. And I said, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that, right? And so, but they are. So that if, okay, if they are, they are, but we don't need to hear it. It's an accusation. It, we, and at Friday night at Madhouse, we did a thing where we said, focus on the pure and the holy and the righteous, right? It's Philippians 4. So we focus on all the good things that God has made. And by the way, in that passage, it says, you can have the peace that passes understanding if you trust in the Lord, if you ask the Lord, and you focus on the good things that the Lord has made. And then you can have the peace that passes understanding. Which means, by the way, that accusation, and this was not in my notes, but this is absolutely true, accusation is not one of the good things that the Lord has made. Which means if you love the Lord, you recognize that God is in charge of everything, and you trust the Lord and lift up your concerns to Him, and then go around looking negatively at life, accusing people or, or situations or whatever, accusing God, accusing Satan even, accusing, if that's what you do, that is not one of the positive things, and you will not have the peace that passes understanding according to Philippians 4. So not only does Jesus say, it's not right to do because it's what they did to me. Not only does Jesus say, it's not right to do because I myself would not do it. 
Not only does Jesus say it's not right to do, because in accusation, the end result is condemnation. And Romans 8, there is now no, therefore, no more condemnation, right? We shouldn't have that. Not only is it not the right thing to do, because in accusation and condemnation, you hurt people, you hurt yourself, right? Not only is it like that, but on top of that, you're going to miss the peace that passes understanding. You're not going to have peace in your life. You're not going to be powerfully empowered by God to walk through the greatest trials and tribulations. You will not have the peace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, well, God can save us from this fiery furnace, but if He does not, we still will not bow down to your statue. That's the peace that passes understanding. And the danger of that is, if you don't have that peace that passes understanding, then when you wind up in the fire, will it be just you? Or you and Jesus? And the king said, I see four men walking around in there in the fiery furnace, and the fourth is like a son of God. Amen. His words. Accusations are an observable <coughs> phenomenon that the world has embraced and even calls a good thing. But I submit to you, to accuse someone is a posture of or with contempt and stands directly opposite of the posture that we are supposed to have, which is a posture of repentance. We don't even accuse ourselves. We say, this is a fact. I have sinned. This is a fact. I fall down before the holy God of the universe and I am cleansed not by me or by my action. Repentance is not a work that you do. It is turning to God. To let him do the work. And anybody who has done anything wrong, it doesn't matter what it is, anybody who has any failing of character, they have the same right, the same ability to turn to God that you or I do. And so when you accuse them and that accusation leads to condemnation, you are saying they don't. And in that instant, they are less wrong than you are. So no, but they had sin and the wages of sin is death. They deserve what they get. Don't forget the second half of the verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. And they are entitled to that just the same as you are because Jesus paid for it, you didn't. And so there is every reason under the sun to never, ever take a posture of accusation toward anyone. But you will. You will. In your flesh, you will. Because accusation is an observable phenomenon that is a direct result when someone lies to you. At some point in time, you figure it out. You're going to say, that person lied to me. I know they lied to me. By the way, that's an accusation. Now, it's not a wrong accusation if you know for a fact that they lied to you, but a lot of times you think they did and they didn't. Or they didn't mean to. But there is an actual accusation taking place there. It's a recognition you will accuse. But your accusation must be an accusation to no condemnation. Immediately, when you realize that you are accusing someone, you must say, the same as I realize that it's true, it's a fact, it's a realization, it is obvious, they broke the law, they sinned against God, and maybe they deserve what they get. You ought to be able to say, but so do I deserve what I would get. Not in a way of accusing yourself, but by saying, but so do I. And there's a story in Luke chapter 18. We are near, coming to the end of the text, but we're not done yet. There's a story in Luke chapter 18, and it's one some, some of you may be familiar with. It's about a Pharisee and a publican that go up to the temple, and they're praying. It begins in verse 9. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And Jesus, and he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves. Listen to this. This is perfectly phrased for what we're talking about. Certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. See, they were living a lifestyle where they said, oh, we're good, we're right, but they're not. Right? They've got all these wrongs in their life. So we're good, but they're not. Oh, how easy it would be to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and to sit in here and worship God on Sundays and come to Bible study on Tuesdays, which some of us don't do that. And some of us are only here on some Sundays. Even to serve seven days a week, to put in a little bit of time, and some of us don't do that. To read our Bibles daily, and some of us don't do that. 
to pray and lift our concerns up to God, and some of us don't do that, but how easy it would be to do any smattering of those various things that we're commanded to do by Scripture and to think about how much less than us the rest of the world is. The deceived, the foolish, the lost. How easy it would be to do that. In fact, I would say that we have been guilty of that at times. And that's an accusation. And then we immediately say, but... Because Jesus Christ is Lord, as we confess it to him, he is right and faithful and justice to forgive us of that wrong. And then we ought to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. In other words, to not do it again, like the woman who caught in adultery, to go and sin no more. Verse 10 says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, I thank thee, I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And therein is the problem. How often when you are accusing others of wrong, even wrong that they have done. Let me be clear. How often when you are accusing others of wrong, even wrong that they have done, are you doing so to elevate you? Say, well, at least that's not something I do. Right? But oftentimes you're accusing them and you have sin, and one sin is no different than the other. For whosoever keepeth the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So the very same sin that you're accusing and condemning them for, you are guilty of as well. And Jesus said, this man, the man who prayed, God forgive me, a sinner, went down justified, while that man, the man who prayed, at least I am not like them, thank you. And by the way, he was thanking God. Thank you, God, for making me not like them for saving me, for making me a better person than the people around me in the world. Oh, watch out. We can pray ourselves into a corner by praying, thank you that I am better than others. Yeah. And Jesus said this, the, the tax collector, the publican, he went down justified and the other not so much. Accusations are an observable phenomenon. They're going on in our world today. The clearest and simplest form of it is when you listen to what somebody says and then you take one little thing out of it and come back at them and say, now, did you say this? When all they were really trying to do was talk to you. It happens all the time on social media and results in things going viral as people just have to comment whether it's a stinking loaf of bread or not. Who cares whether you think it's a loaf of bread? You do. That's who. There are people cussing people out over whether that was a loaf of bread or not. Are you kidding me? Well, you're an ignorant fool. We did the same thing over a stick. You can go, it goes on. Observable accusations. To accuse is a posture of and with contempt. You're relegating them to a place where you are better than they are. To repent is the opposite posture. I am dirt, and God is making me into something awesome. All glory to God, not to me. All glory to God. Concludes this way, essentially. There's a couple of verses yet, so don't put your Bible away if you've been following along. According to this parable, to be justified, you set your posture to repent, not to accuse. So every time someone sins and your brain says, oh, yeah, that was a sin, you can share with them that it was a sin. You ought to. If you become aware of it, Matthew 18, 18 says, you know, you, you probably shouldn't do that. That doesn't really honor God or whatever. But at the same time, in your mind, you're saying, yes, but I also have sin. You can much easier come to somebody who you want to do accountability with and talk to them about what they've done wrong when you realize that you too have done wrong. 
When you think of yourself as, you know, I could come to RJ and I could say, RJ, what well, you did one right there. And it's a lot easier for me to do that when I realize that the only chance we have is if I and RJ, if we both are saved by a holy God who is the only one holy. And then we are dirt and we together as dirt need to let God bring us up to be something awesome. And when RJ has sin and I can't come to RJ because I'm too wrapped up in my accusation or too busy condemning him in my mind or too busy thinking he won't listen to me or I'm too busy condemning myself because I'm not good enough to go to him and talk to him or whatever. When accusations are involved and I can't go to then both of us fail. Neither one of us elevates. Neither one of us grows in Christ. Neither one of us is, is lifted up by God. We do what is in the Scripture not because we are better, because it is the pattern that God has given us as Christians. That's why. And when we botch it, we don't sit around and accuse ourselves or condemn ourselves. No, there is now, therefore, no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. We get up again and go again. And when you sit around and accuse someone else, the moment that you accuse them to condemnation, you are worse off than they are. Turn it around. To be justified, set your posture to repent, and just like this man, and turn to God. Not to accuse others of their wrongs. To recognize sin is not to repent. To say, oh, I lied. Ooh, I shouldn't have done that. That's not repenting. To say, I wish I had never said that. That's not repenting. It's sorrow. And if it's done in God, it may even be close to godly sorrow because the Holy Spirit is also grieving inside of you for the foolish thing that you did. But it is not repentance. To repent is to turn to God and say, God, I never should have done that and I'm going to need your help to make sure I never do it again. That's to repent. God, I was doing it in my own power. And I just realized I can't. I don't depend on you. That's to repent. To recognize sin is not to repent. To choose God over sin is to repent. That would be the same thing as whether it's recognizing sin in your own life or in somebody else's. Either way, you being able to see sin in somebody else's life, you being able to turn off a TV when it all of a sudden becomes almost pornographic, that is not repentance. You turn it off the TV three seconds after seeing something that's almost like pornographic and praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, I just, I just saw something I ever should have saw. It wasn't my fault. I didn't really try to do it, but I'm in this place and this happened to me. I'm turning to you, God. Now you make me something, God, that will honor you. You make me something new. You cleanse that thought from my mind. After someone has beat you up with their mouth, instead of you walking away going, that person had no right to do that. That was wrong. That's accusation. That's defending yourself by accusing them of being wrong. Instead of doing that, you go say, God, I just had a horrible experience. I'm falling apart here. That was wrong. That, what just happened to me was not a good thing. I'm turning to you, Lord. Heal me of my infirmity. Heal me of my scar. Don't let me become a product of that accusation of what just happened to me. We repent when things happen to us that we didn't do. Turn to God. That's your posture. First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. So we're going to the back to the little books. First Peter chapter 3. 15 through 17 is the target. I'm going to start in 13. Obviously he's talking about living for Christ here. Talking about how sometimes when you live for Christ it doesn't always... Life doesn't always go smoothly. That's what he's been talking about. 3.13 says, And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, he says, who's going to hurt you if you're doing what's right, if you live for what is good? But even if you do live for what's right, sometimes people will try to hurt you. He says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile you, I'm sorry, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better 
Listen to that. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. An accusation is not a defense. It's a wrong. And when you accuse someone, even if they did what you're accusing them of, it's a wrong. Jesus would not accuse the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the court of God, which is the highest court there ever was. You cannot accuse someone to condemnation. If you haven't seen that already in all of these texts that we've read, you cannot do it. Therefore, when you accuse, it is wrong, and you will suffer for your accusation. If, if it's a heated moment and I'm standing in front of a guy and, and I know he's done something wrong and I, I'm standing there berating him and making him feel small as an ant and he's a guy of physical nature and I'm telling him how stupid he is and how he's going to go to hell and how he's going to suffer for what he did wrong, he just might deck me. And hear me now, he would be right to do so. What? He sinned against me I'm berating him for it, and he punches me, and he is right to do so because what I am doing is wrong. You don't get to accuse people to condemnation. It's what they did to Jesus. Right. Don't do to them who were created in the image of God what they did to him who was the total image of God. Now, if they're wrong... Call them to repentance. If they're wrong, call them and say, listen, God loves you so much. You don't have to do this. I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you would want to lie to try to get your way when God will literally give you the desires of your heart if you just allow your heart to be regenerated by Him. I don't know why you would want to go and commit adultery on your wife when God will give you the wife that you need if you just turn, totally turn your life over to Him and pray for her every day and serve her every day. And, and the reverse is also true for the man that the woman needs. One last text, Luke 6. Back to the left. Matthew, Mark, Luke. In the New Testament. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. And we are literally one line from the bottom of the page. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. Luke 6, verse 31. I'm going to start in 27, so you can see the context. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now, it's hard to love somebody when you're standing around accusing them about how bad they are, isn't it? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Hate is wrong. Standing around accusing people of hating you is also wrong. Do good to them. Which means you've got to go, okay, wait, I recognize they hate me. It's a, re it's a realization. They're acting like they hate. I see it in their actions. But I also have sin. God help me. I'm turning to you. Heal me of what I have experienced. Heal me of what I have just thought. Heal me of the accusation that is in my heart. Now show me how to love this person and lead them to you. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everything, I'm sorry, give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. Not as they treat you. Accusation is an observable phenomenon, everyone's doing it, but as you would have them to treat you. Do you want to be accused? Do you want to be wrongly accused? Do you want to walk into a room and have everybody look at you and go, oh, they're, they're, they're. and they all know. Because you've all been accused and everybody's talked. Do you like that? That make you feel good? No. Being wrongly accused does not make you feel good. Being rightly accused does not make you feel good. Treat them the way you want to be treated, not, not, not the way they deserve but the way you want to be treated. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You want to be like God? You want to be like Jesus? Stop your accusations. Stop them before they turn into condemnation. They will happen. You can't stop it. It's a human condition. Your body, your mind will accuse. And stop it right there. Don't let it turn into a condemnation. Don't let it have any ramifications in your life whatsoever. Be free. Be free. There is no power for vindication in accusing others. There is no power for justification in accusing others. There is no glory from God for accusing others. There is no healing in accusing others. There is no eternity in accusing others. And you know who the chief of accusers is? Satan. The word, the Greek word, Satan, means accuser. He is the accuser. They accused Jesus, and Jesus said, you are of your father, Satan. Some of the things that they accused Jesus of were true. <coughs> be justified. Be justified. Be found as if you are not guilty. Don't accuse those who were created in the image of God as they accused he who was the human image of God. Whose footsteps are you going to follow in? Are you going to learn to recognize when you are walking in the ways of the world and accusing people of what they have done wrong? Stop it in its tracks so that it does not become condemning them, so you don't judge them and start thinking that they deserve what they get or anything like that. And instead, love them. Turn to God who is love. God who loves them and blesses them even though they are evil and full of hate. If he loves them and blesses them, then you love them and bless them. The young lady who was in that story when she was nine, she was accused of being a bedwetter and affected her from that point on, affected her psychologically, affected her emotionally. This is what really hit me about this message. You ever say, have somebody say something to you, positive or negative, and it still lasts to this day? One sentence, one phrase. And it's just stuck with you. Maybe it was something encouraging. I hope it was. Maybe it was something discouraging. The world doesn't shake that stuff off. The world doesn't have Jesus in them, healing them constantly. The world doesn't have Jesus lifting them up. The world doesn't have a sermon every Sunday to get them beyond what they're experiencing in their life. We do. We have a Savior who is with us and in us and taking care of us every day. So we can theoretically overcome those accusations. In fact, we should expect them. Jesus says, they hated me first. Don't be surprised when they hate you. There will be accusations against us. That's not an accusation. That's just the truth. But even accusing someone of wrongfully accusing is an accusation. And so when Jesus was with Pilate, he made no defense. He didn't say, oh, they're evil and wicked and they just want to put me on the cross and kill me. Go ahead and let it happen because it's got to happen anyway. He just said nothing. It's time we learned to say the things we're supposed to be saying. And when we do that, we won't have time for accusing others or even ourselves. And when it starts to happen, turn it around, turn it over, and repent, and turn to the Lord. Because it will happen as long as you're in this life. The accused. That's where we stand. Was once accused of thievery. When I didn't do it. Before I got saved, I stole a number of times. I once was once accused of thievery. It hurt me. because It was somebody close to me. I've been accused of not caring. I've been accused of 
being lazy. I've been accused of being a liar. I've been accused of being responsible for somebody committing suicide. I remember them all. There's no ache or pain in them anymore because they've been healed, but I remember them. When you accuse somebody, they will remember it. And if you accuse them wrongly, they will remember it for the rest of their lives. Recently, I, I counseled with a young person who was accused of doing something that they didn't do. And the question was, this person said that they loved me and then accused me of doing something I didn't do. How can someone who loves me accuse me of doing something I didn't do? And you know what their conclusion was? One of two things is true. Either A, they lied when they said that they didn't accuse me, or when, they, when they accused me and said that I did this thing. That was one possibility. Or the other is that they don't really know how to love someone. Right? How about you? Do you know how to love someone? Because the Bible says you're supposed to love people. And if you're supposed to love people, are you still accusing them? It would be very easy to fall into that trap because we have Jesus. We have a teacher, a guide, a Holy Spirit, the Holy Word. We know what's right from wrong. We look at the world. We know the world is doing wrong. How many people have accused Donald Trump, our president, of how many things? How many people have accused Barack Obama and every president before them? How many people have accused our governors, our teachers? There's accusations all the time, and everybody wants to elevate it to a court of law because there you can get it. You might not win in a court of public opinion, but there you can get it. And then some people who know they can't win in a court of law, they want to do it in a court of public opinion. This is why people love to go and gossip and talk about how somebody lied or somebody whatever, and you're gossiping while you're doing it. It kills me. Well, let's love. And when we accuse, realize that's not loving. Repent and turn back to God. And remember I'm saying even if the accusation is something that's true, you want to help that person, draw them out, explain to them why this course of action is destructive. It's not helping them. It's not in their Christian road that they claim to be a Christian. Or it's not in any healthy way of living if they're not a Christian. Explain to them why it's not good, why God loves them and would want a relationship with them. Call them to Jesus again. Say, this too is paid for by the cross. If you'll allow it to be so. So you're going to have those moments, but you have to learn how to handle them. Thinking